0: beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor
1: some of my favorite conversations have happened over the rims of mugs i'm denise harper co-host of the morning show with bill and denise and program director for the bridge there's something special about sitting across the table from a friend whether we've known them forever or for just a minute with a good cup of coffee and an open heart and hopefully, today's conversation will inspire and encourage you. Well, today I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness. I have Peggy Kellers in the studio with me. And Peggy, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Denise.
1: I was reading through some of your story. And I, can I just share a little bit? Yes. Okay. So uh, you were a six-time All-American catcher seven-time national and one-time world champion, elected into the Connecticut and the National Softball Hall of Fame, and a gold medalist in the 1967 Pan American Games, which was actually, you, you shared that it was part of the setup to getting the softball into
2: the Olympics. Yes, it was the first step, but we didn't know that it would take 30 years.
1: Isn't that something? Well, sometimes those, those <laughs> gears
0: turn very slowly.
1: <laughs> You're a trendsetter, though, obviously.
0: Yeah, now we, we're labeled pioneer, so <laughs> by my gray hair, you uh, can tell. <laughs> well, I tell you, I'm, I'm so excited to hear your story. I was
1: thinking when I was reading all of this, how young were you when you started playing softball?
2: When I first started in the town where I lived, I was nine. Okay. And then when I started with the big-time league, I was uh, 14. I was a freshman in high school. Oh, my goodness. And at the time, they didn't have girl sports in the schools. Yeah. So it was a real godsend for me and a nice outlet. I think my dad was relieved because he knew it kept me off the streets. Yes,
1: absolutely. (laughs) Gave you something good to do, fun to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You probably built a team. Like You got to know the girls, other girls on your team.
2: Yes, and I was the youngest for at least three years, wow. so many of the women were already in the profession in their professional careers. Mm. Uh, a couple of them were in college, but at the beginning of my career, I was always the youngest, and I had people you know ten and fifteen years older than me. Mm. Did you ever play any other position or always catcher i I started at second base, okay, and the reason I caught was. One night, and this was with the team in New Haven, not the not the team in Stratford. Our two of our catchers were injured, and one had to work. So the coach before the game said, "It was anyone (laughs) would anyone like to play catcher?" So I I raised my hand, and I knew the pitcher that was throwing was tended to be wild. Oh boy! But she liked me because I never let a ball get by. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I tell you, that's brave because...
2: <laughs> brave
0: I've, or crazy, Denise.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe a little of both, right? I've watched the windup up uh, <sighs> Girls softball, that is... Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nothing to shirk at. No. You know, that windup is crazy. And I've seen how fast the ball comes and the catcher, like, it's coming right for you. That's right. Ready or not. That's right. <laughs> so when did you know that Uh, you you mentioned 14. Is that about when you knew that you wanted to pursue a career
2: in softball? Yes. And what was nice was that year that I played with New Haven, that was about 45 minutes from our home. The Stratford, the briquettes, the one that you mentioned Mm -hmm. in the introduction, they were in my hometown of Stratford. Ah. So in January, I I with all the courage a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old could muster up mm-hmm. I called the coach and asked for a tryout and he had said that he was that I was on his list to call because see they had played against us so he knew not only was I second base but I was a catcher and in that time having a catcher was you know really a positive commodity yeah so then I tried out and I made the team and it, it, the rest was history so did that give you a um,
1: a scholarship into college? I mean, was that something mm. that kind of created a pathway for you through your education as well?
2: There were no scholarships for oh. women in sports. And wow, we knew, my dad had told us in junior high, There's my older brother, and then I have a younger sister. So he told my brother and I that we were going to be responsible for not only going to college, but paying our way. Mm. So we didn't. I didn't have any benefit from being in softball other than the notoriety, and the sense of accomplishment, and the leadership qualities that you gain in that type of thing, but nothing financial. Mm. Wow! Did that change along the way, or you paid the way all? No, the way? we we were always amateur, and I can give you a comparison because a lot of people don't quite understand what this fast pitch softball is about. Mm-hmm. We were comparable to Major League Baseball. In our, in our abilities, in our, um, the opportunities that we had, where we traveled, and that kind of thing. So my counterpart at the time in Major League Baseball was Johnny Bench.
0: Oh, my. he was the catcher
2: for the Cincinnati Reds. And our, our careers paralleled each other pretty much. And I think we're close in age. Well, he was one of the four Major League players who was making $100,000 a year. That mm, was a big deal wow. back then. Yeah, uh, For us... We got travel money for food. That was 6 to $8 a day when I started. Now, mind you, the prices also in the restaurant were less. Right. And then all of our travel expenses were paid. And because I was the catcher, I actually got my glove paid for because you go through a glove much more frequently. But that was all that we got. And we weren't allowed to get any money. Even in the winter, if I'd go on the banquet circuit and make speeches... The gift had to be a twenty-five dollar value or less. No kidding. So
1: that's how strict it was. So what kept you? Obviously, money was not motivating. No. For you. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> what was your motivation? Oh, I just loved the game. I loved competition. Uh, the fact that we were going for the national championship every year. Uh, it it was the team. My teammates were yeah. really good and. There was just something there because I had no other opportunities in sports. There was just something there that kept me coming. How old were you when you made it to the championship? Let's see. In 1964 was my first year with the Raybestos Braquettes, and we came in second that year and the next year. And I thought I had jinxed them because it felt like they had always won, right? (laughs) But anyway, in 66 was the first year we won the Nationals, 66, 67, 68, and then we lost in 60, we came in second in 69 and 70, and then 71, 72, 73, and 74 we won, and that broke a record. No team had ever won more than three in a row. Wow. And
1: has that happened since then?
2: You maybe not I don't know. Him. I mean, I followed college softball this year. I knew Oklahoma was going for, I believe, four in a row or something, and they made that. But I, mm-hmm. I don't know about the, at the amateur level.
1: Yeah. Did you have a certain thing that you went through, every, like a pregame kind of set of getting ready? Was there ever fear involved and like i'm thinking you walk into a tournament with a lot of people
0: Mm. all eyes are on you and you're right where all the action is peggy (laughs) right right well we always had our set
2: warm-up routine
0: and of course
2: being the catcher i was warming up the pitcher other than the stretching and the running and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing uh but this is this is how my testimony starts so, yeah. you, you, that was a good lead in Denise. So, we were playing in the national tournament in 1966, and it was in Orlando, Florida. <clears throat> and even though I had been catching for two years, I had never caught in the national tournament. Mm-hmm. They always had the veteran do that. So, this was my first year catching. And of course, the responsibility is on the catcher because you're calling all the pitches mm-hmm. and kind of directing, you know, positions and that kind of thing. <laughs> So I was very nervous before that game, and we were playing our arch rival, Orange, California, and they were the defending champs. Ah. So this game was Ooh. called the winner's bracket game. It was a double elimination tournament, and it meant that if you won, you went right on to the championship game. If you lost, you went into the loser's bracket, and you could come back out to, to play mm. in the championship game because okay. you were allowed two losses. So I was walking in this really tall grass to get to batting practice, which was behind the stadium. And I sensed the presence of Jesus walking with me, so Mm. much so that I stopped and heard his footsteps in the grass, and I saw this person in kind of a white robe. Mm. Now, mind you, I grew up in a Protestant church. We didn't know about a relationship with Jesus. We certainly talked about faith. Right. but um, we didn't know about a personal relationship with Jesus. And so that was my concept. My concept of God at that time was he was a judge in a in a black room. Mm, yeah. So this gave me peace and the sense of Jesus's presence stayed with me all through the night. Mm. And then an unbelievable amount of confidence. So I went in and into the game and we went into extra innings and I, I, I wasn't known for my hitting. I was number nine in the lineup. But um, the last inning, the team had scored a run, and so it was three to two, and our team was the home team. So I came up with bases loaded and two outs. Oh. Well, like I said, the presence of Jesus never left me. Mm. So I thought, okay, let's go. <laughs> I hit this um, line drive past third, and as I was running to first, you're taught to sneak a peek to make sure it goes into the outfield. Well, here the third baseman had laid out and caught it,
1: Uh, which meant the
2: game was over. And I was devastated because not only did we lose and now go into the loser's bracket, but I said, well, if Jesus was with me, why did we lose? Mm. You know, that's a real mature point of view, isn't it? <laughs> you
1: know what? It is more every day than you would think. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't we say
2: that often? We do. Yeah. Like, why do bad things happen to good people, yeah. right? Yeah. So, anyway, I went back to the motel and then we went through the losers bracket and we won that game and then faced Orange again in the championship game and we had to win twice. They only had to win once mm-hmm. to get the national championship. So, we we won both games. Uh, I had I had some pretty good at bats even, and then of course my catching yeah. you know, was good yeah and so sealed the deal. We, we did it. it was, a, <laughs> it, was so, it was so exciting, it, but I didn't know what to do with that experience, Denise. That's what I was going right? to ask you. So I'm I know you were very
1: focused <laughs> on what you were there to do. Yes, but somewhere along the way, you had to stop and
2: say what
1: was that yes and what do I I do with
2: it isn't it strange that I was afraid if I told anyone that I would lose that experience again so naive but but that's that was my fear so I didn't share anything with anyone and a year and a half later it was 1967 at Christmas my brother came home from college and I was home from college and my sister was there and We had this family talk, and Bill had had a relationship with Jesus. That's your brother. My brother. Mm -hmm. And now he's telling the family Ah. Christmas night. Well, we probably gave him the religious lines, (laughs) 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 kind of like, oh, that's good for you, Bill. Yes. Well, anyway, near the end of the conversation, oh, my dad said, Bill, that's one thing that I've always wanted to experience, that and death. And I'm (laughs) thinking, oi, oi, (laughs) oi, That's a one and done right there. (laughs) So, anyway, then afterwards, or at the end, I said, Well, Bill, this is what happened to me. And he said, Well, that's it. That's it. And I said, What do you mean? I said, You're talking about your life being changed. And, you know, Jesus is with you every moment. I said, That's not real for me right now. And so he Mm -hmm. gave me a copy of the four spiritual laws. And I had that on my bureau. Well, less than a week later, my dad took sick very unexpectedly. And within 24 hours, he had died. Aww. So there I was faced with, my whole family was faced with the whole process of grief, mm-hmm. losing a loved one, because at the time he was my best friend. And he was a real strong supporter of my softball. Sure. So you go through, you, you just go through a time of grief and sadness, and then you start thinking deeply. And of course, my my incident with jesus was coming to the forefront my career at that time was so successful and my notoriety and and my my skills were improving so much that it was almost like i didn't need jesus mm-hmm. but then the void in my heart grew bigger yeah and so i knew it was just something that i knew that when i received Jesus. It was going to be a lifetime commitment and I was probably fighting it. Maybe in the back of my mind I wondered if he'd have me give up softball because mm-hmm. my brother had kind of had to wipe his slate clean yeah. when he came into the relationship. So in 1969, that was about 3 years after he had walked with me, then I I received him mm-hmm. into my heart and knew that it was a commitment and Nothing happened. There was no lightning or thunder or anything, and and I, he was just there. Yeah, and it was neat. And then from that, my relationship grew as I got involved in church and and read the Bible and understood more of who he was. Yeah, the precious thing about your story,
1: Peggy, is that he was walking with you all along. Yes, <laughs> and he knew where to find me. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh, how beautiful is that? Yes.
1: We hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Rims of Mugs, made possible by Iconic Sparkle. Get fun and fashionable accessories such as necklaces, earrings, and bracelets that can go with any outfit for any occasion for just $5. Owner Mandy Heinz desires to change the world through her accessories and what it allows her to offer. Fashion accessory advice, boosting confidence, and training those who want to start their own business. Learn more at IconicSparkle.com or on their app. So do you feel like uh, because you made that decision to follow Christ, that new doors, new experiences opened up for you?
2: Yes. And at the time now, I was the only Christian on my team and... In all of softball, Mm. I found two other women on the Orlando team that Mm. were Christians. So that was kind of a neat connection because we played each other a couple times during the year. And when I would go to Orlando, Pat Walker, the outfielder, she would always invite me to her church because her pastor and his wife collected tickets at the gate so they knew who I was. (laughs) So I would go, and then they'd ask me to give my testimony, and then different people from their church would come to the games and so forth. So as a result, like Fel- Fellowship of Christian Athletes was probably my first door that opened because they knew my background in softball and as a Christian. And so I would be invited to either coaches' clinics or or clinics for athletes, and sometimes I'd be the keynote speaker Sometimes I would uh, be doing a clinic with softball, and then being able to share my testimony and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. gradually, the doors began opening, and then they really opened after my career when I made it into the Hall of Fame, into the National Hall of okay. Fame. That was a real. What um, was that like? Openly. When you got the call. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> I got now th- now I'm dating myself. Okay. I got a telegram call. <laughs> and this was at 11.30 at night. <laughs> I was sound asleep, and I thought I was dreaming. Somebody brought a telegram to your door? That, no, they called me on the phone, and they said, this is a telegram, and it was that you have been nominated and elected into the National Softball Hall of Fame. Wow. And I was w- still waking up. <laughs> well, the worst part was my whole family was asleep. Oh. Where I went, didn't live near them, and I couldn't call anyone. <laughs>
0: Oh. So I had to wait till the next day. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, was... Then you
1: couldn't go back to sleep after no. that, right? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe around three or four I did. Wow.
1: Okay, so somewhere along the way, you uh, you started coaching. When So yes. I'm assuming you were... <clears throat> finished playing and
2: you began coaching or was there an overlap? Actually, there was an overlap. So I started coaching when I graduated from college. I coached and taught physical education in a high school in Connecticut. And that was a great career because then you had your summers free and, you know, your weekends free when we started in April. So I coached, I coached, Basketball, softball, and tennis that's what a woman did. Uh-huh. That's the assignment you did. you didn't okay. specialize so anyway, um, I coached there for three years, and that was all during my career. so it was fun for the kids you know because yeah. they knew who I was and often we'd come to the games and so forth and then in and then I w- I wanted to go to the college level okay. and so I was going for my master's and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I retired from my playing days in 1974 after we won the national and world championship that year and the reason i had to retire was Mm -hmm. my shoulder had not responded to two surgeries and that was my throwing shoulder and at the time it was not only just playing in pain that was getting tiring but i thought you know god must have something more for me and so Mm -hmm. i stepped away and that was probably the hardest decision I've ever sure. had to make, because I was only 27 and, I, and so forth. Wow. But, and then I started coaching at the college level. So my first assignment was at Oral Roberts University oh my. Uh, coaching and teaching. In and Tulsa. I was volleyball and basketball at the
0: time. <laughs> So
2: again, so you, you just
0: get you just get the assignments and say thank you. I love coaching. So did you have to go? Okay, I got to learn this s- basketball. I mean, there basketball they're I knew because so... I played in college. You did okay.
2: volleyball.
0: I had only played a little bit, so I got a good book. <laughs> now today you can pull up YouTube. This there is where you kids go. say. I just YouTube it, Mom. I can learn anything. <laughs> That's right. So around that
2: time, and this is a, another interesting part of my story because I'm, I've remained single. So going into my 30th birthday year, the Holy Spirit said to me, would you be willing to be married? Well, you know, when that happens, you kind of say, wait, am I hearing things? You know, you shake yeah. your head, you yeah. get the cobwebs <laughs> out. And I had never thought about, being married or being single. I was just really happy and mm-hmm. you know being productive and and that kind of thing. So I thought, wow, would I be resisting marriage. So anyway, I had that little discussion, however we have that <laughs> with with Jesus when he does something like that yeah. and and I said, "Okay, I realized that I was very independent. I was around people that were single, married, divorced, everything Everything was represented on my team. Nothing bothered me. We had, you know, we were very satisfied as single people. Um, I had a handful of dates in my 20s and that kind of thing. So what I always do is I open up my left hand and hold it out, and that's the one that's closest to my heart. Yes. And I, I put it there. Am I willing to be married? And then I had to pray, and I spent some time really thinking about it. So over the course of a couple months, I said, yes, I am. You know, even though I've always just pictured myself single. So I thought for sure, you know, when you when you totally yield yourself yeah. to that, I, mean, I was just sure it was going to happen. And uh, so anyway, I went through the next month or so. My grandmother, who I was really close to, died, and she was 88. And in the inheritance, I didn't. The kids weren't in the inheritance part of the money, but she left me her wedding band. Oh. So I thought, this is a sign. Ah. Well, and then the convincer was it fit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and yeah. I understand that you need to have a husband to be able to get <laughs> married and probably a free weekend, which coaching is hard. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i I was open to it, and then nothing came mm. and I remained single and The ironic part is in my counseling, in my working with you can you can imagine the single women, especially but women and men who would come and say, "I just really want to get married." Well, yeah. if I knew them well enough i they knew my story. Mm. I said, "Would you put your hand out and say, "I'm willing to be single?" Mm. Well that was as hard for them as it was for me are you willing to be married hmm. wow and some of them you know took the challenge and did that and and then i would you know they would say to me well there's just no eligible if it was a woman no eligible men or if it was a man no eligible women and i said well don't go shopping <laughs> but keep your heart open yeah and, Good advice. And then things, you know, things started happening, and many of those women got married. But it makes it if I used to give this it, this story in a sermon or something like that, it makes the single people nervous when they would hear about the gift of singleness. And I would always qualify it with the majority of the people have the gift of marriage. Mm. And God. so don't let that hesitation. Stop you from what Jesus has for you. Just keep your hand and heart open mm. to whatever He has, because we're we're about yielding yes. to Him.
1: Yeah, and when He calls us to something, He equips us for that. Yes, He gives us a heart for it, yes. even if we don't necessarily have a full heart for it going in.
2: Right, and I and I've often said to both singles and married, ask God if in fulfilling His purpose in your life, you could be more effective as a single or a married person because Mm -hmm. we need both. Mm -hmm. There are people that you can reach as a married person who I can't and vice versa. So it's always about what is God's purpose in the state that I'm in. And I learned a lot, Denise, about becoming content, and Mm -hmm. that's all what Paul writes about in Philippians 4 um no matter what state we're in even as i've watched people go through divorce or widow we still have to learn to be content because it's our relationship with jesus yeah. that is the most important thing and the and the lasting thing yes
1: you have a degree you have a doctorate in sport psychology which yes. is I love that you're you put it in parentheses the mental part of performance. That's right. <laughs> you're
0: getting into the psyche of the player, right? <laughs> you're helping them perform more effectively <laughs> and be confident. <laughs> I have to
1: imagine you would be such a valuable that you are such a valuable part of the team because there's that opportunity to speak sometimes we got to get out of our head Yes, and we we are able physically to do so many things Mm -hmm. uh, and our mind can actually stop us. Mm -hmm. So are you still doing, are you still doing that kind of coaching?
2: No. When I retired, um, then those opportunities kind of closed for me, but I'm always open to working with someone individual if, if they hear about me. Yeah. But I also work with just people that, average normal people that maybe never even played sports that have negative self-talk. Ah. You know and if we become friends, I'll say you can't talk to my friend like that. Ah. You know, cuz oh, you so bash cool. on yourself. Yeah. So the whole idea of this sport performance, it's it's really everyday life. How do you handle stress on a daily basis? How do you deal with anxiety? How do, you, how do you change your attitudes from negative to positive, thoughts from negative to positive? So I still use that in my counseling and in my small group leadership. Absolutely. What brought you to Delaware? I was living in a retirement community in Springfield, Virginia, and this was after I was a caregiver for eight years for my mother and her sister and her, her, her brother-in-law. And after they went home with the Lord, I was in Harrisonburg, and I had already stopped teaching because of that load with Mm -hmm. the elder care, and it was getting pretty claustrophobic there, Mm -hmm. and I thought, I think I need to be where there's a little bit more activity and so forth, so Springfield is right in the D.C. metro area, Mm -hmm. and I moved to a retirement community there, which I was renting an apartment, and even though I was one of the younger ones, they, I think that age was 65 and older. And I had many friends that were much older than me, just dear friends. Um, the, the rent kept going up significantly each year. And I thought, you know, there's, there's a better way that I could be spending my money and, and also maybe be more active in a community. And so I looked, I wanted to go to a 55 and older community. So I looked in Maryland Virginia Beach and Delaware and honestly Delaware is ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. in 55 and older so when the door opened for this home a resale I put in an offer on a Sunday morning and it was accepted by 5 o'clock that night (laughs)
1: You
0: knew and, it was yeah, to and be. Yeah, so it, things moved fast. I, I moved within the month to get up here. I have a feeling here. everything's moved fast <laughs> Everything with you, Peggy. Everything moved fast. But the way God orders some of my steps, it's just amazing. You just have to be ready. <laughs> what a journey you've had. Oh, my goodness. How encouraging
1: you are. What a delight. Thank I you. thoroughly loved hearing about your story. What would
0: you go back and tell your younger you if you could? To receive Jesus sooner. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> And
2: just to learn quickly, we learn in our head the security, identity, and belonging that we have. Security is who God is. Mm-hmm. Identity is what Jesus has done for us. Mm-hmm. And belonging is a sense that we're a child of God and we're in his family. So to transfer that, the 12 inches from your head to your heart, Yeah. Just spend more time meditating on that so that that becomes a given mm-hmm. in your life. You There's less doubting, there's less guilt, there's less shame, there's a freedom because we're a new creation. And so that's because of where I am now, the whole learning, the process of abiding in Jesus and Abiding in that friendship, maturing in that friendship, um, having the joy and freedom, you know of actually living like a new creation, mm-hmm. that's what I would tell my younger self. That's so good. All right. And what's your favorite scripture?: My life scripture is Philippians 3:10, that I may know him, know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And that one's a hard one to say, it but is. it's true. We need to learn both. Yeah, This has been such a privilege, Denise. Thank you so much. Aww.
1: It's been my honor to have you in here. I want to say thanks to my guest today, Peggy Kellers, for sharing her story. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of Over the Rims of Mugs. If you'd like to share comments or you have a question, you can email us at podcast at org. I co-host The Morning Show with Bill and Denise on The Bridge each weekday morning. I'd love to have you join me there or through our Bridge app. And you're also welcome to catch up with me for a daily devotion on my blog entitled, Treasured Inside. You can find it directly at deniseharper.blog or links to all of these are at wearethebridge.org. Thanks again for joining me here. We were never meant to journey alone. Whether you're having a great day or a hard one, we need each other to celebrate and to stand in the gap. Sharing our stories helps remind us that we are not alone. And when we sit with women who sit at the feet of Jesus, the conversations are different. We walk away feeling inspired, not inferior, because we know this Christian walk is a race, but not a competition. I'm your host, Denise Harper, encouraging you to catch up with a friend or make a new one and enjoy some good conversation over the rims of mugs.